0: The world we know is changing. I'm Moira Gunn, and welcome to Biotech Nation. Many drugs are exclusively delivered by injection. Some, often new biopharmaceuticals, must be delivered via IV. And this can take hours to administer to the patient. What if those drugs could be delivered in a simple pill? And what would that mean worldwide for improving global health? Dr. Ray Stevens is the CEO of Shao T Pharma, which is currently working on addressing type 2 diabetes and obesity, as well as two different drugs for pulmonary and cardiovascular conditions. Well, Ray, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Maura. It's fantastic to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Biotech drugs are known by many names, you know, biopharmaceuticals, biologics, or as CNN's Dr. Sanjay Gupta calls them, IV drugs, because the molecules, which are the drug, are so large that they can't be made into pills. They often have to be delivered by IV. Why can't they be made into pills? The
1: biggest reason is if you took them as pills orally and they got into your stomach, our stomachs are able to degrade them the way we degrade food.
0: But why can't they with the small pills like, you know, antibiotics or aspirin or anything else we take?
1: Antibiotics, aspirin, small molecules, what we refer to them as, is they're able to go into your stomach and then they very quickly diffuse into your your whole body. They don't get degraded by the same mechanism that we have in our stomach that degrades our food.
0: So, we send in these large molecules, and the stomach goes, Oh boy, these look good to eat too. <laughs> and, and they're degraded. They have to be all together. It all has to work. The large uh, molecule has to be intact to actually deliver the drug.
1: Absolutely. That's correct. Yes.
0: We are so grateful for these drugs uh, that they've become available, but it's really a challenge for people taking them.
1: Absolutely. These biologics have revolutionized healthcare. You think about Remicade, Humira, Ketruda, you think about our COVID vaccines uh, as well. Um, they've saved lives and, and there's no question about that. But the fact is many of these medicines are only available to 40% of the world for a variety of reasons, you know, not just the cost of goods, but you know, these molecules also, they have to be stored cold uh, in order to survive, they're very unstable. And this is one of the reasons why you take them IV or you get the injection uh, so that it goes straight into the body. If we were to take these large molecules, these biologics, and swallow them, our body has evolved a great mechanism to degrade food so we get the nutrients from it. It'll do the same thing to these biologics. And so this has really been the challenge of how can we convert these great biologics, medicines that have revolutionized healthcare? And is there an opportunity to be able to convert them to a small oral pill that can help be accessible to everybody in the world?
0: Well, do we need all of that large molecule to be effective? I mean, how can we make it smaller, small enough to be in a pill?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. The, the answer is no. We, we do not need most of the mass of these big biologics In fact, if you, you know, we use a technique called cryo-electron microscopy, it's a microscope that allows us to see the individual atoms. We can see how the drug binds inside the human body and we can see that interaction and that interaction is only a very small part of the working part of the biologic. Our body is full of receptors all over our, our bodies. And so, you know, you, you, these biologics are targeted to a very specific receptor in the body or receptacle in the body. And so it searches for that, and then it has a function uh, once it binds to that particular target inside the body.
0: Since it's so specific, if you can figure out how to bind it, you might not need the whole molecule.
1: That, that's exactly correct. And so that's why we use microscope microscope to be able to see the individual atoms and we figure out what is that smallest possible object that will have the same function. In fact, you know, we, we believe that it has better function because it's able to go through the body faster, more efficiently, and be able to take it orally. So patients, um, there'll be better patient compliance. Um, that would be a much better therapeutic.
0: Now I understand that you use facial recognition software, to figure this out. And I always think of the basic facial recognition software is that uh, there was a famous Super Bowl once that everybody that came through, they took a picture of and they they matched it to a database of, of known felons. <laughs> they had a number of visits to seats and arrests during that particular Super Bowl, but um, it, w- it was pretty amazing. So they had a whole list of those and they were taking one picture at a time. This is kind of different. You have a picture of of something binding to a cell, which is the basic drug, how do you figure out what, in fact, in this large molecule is, is actually binding?
1: It, it's actually the same exact thing. It's the same software. So you use the analogy of you have a crowd of people and you're looking for a specific face. Well, we look in the test tube and we can see these molecules using the microscope. So the new microscopes that only came out about six years ago That was one big breakthrough. But when that was then combined with facial recognition technology, where we can look in the microscope and we can see all the different protein molecules at the atomic level, we can see those and we can add them together and we can start to put together essentially a movie of how the molecules are interacting with each other, how they come together, how they come apart, which part of the surface is most important for triggering function. So facial recognition technology combined with the microscopes have revolutionized structural biology and the entire biology biology field.
0: So you have a bunch of test tubes here. Each one may be a different set of parts of this large molecule just to try to get it down and say, hey, is it, it? is it doing it? Is it doing it? Is it doing it? Is that how it works?
1: Absolutely. So what we do is we, we put the, the receptor in the body, we put that in all the different test tubes. And then we will have the, the biologic will be in one test tube combined with it. And we'll look at that and we'll see that interaction. And then we'll design drug candidates, molecules that we think will mimic the same function, but be much, much smaller, maybe one one thousandth of the size. And we'll then put that all these different test molecules in other test tubes. And we'll get those interactions and we'll see which one mimics The function, the binding, and the activation, that tells us, that guides us to how to build the best possible and safest drug molecule.
0: Well, I love the vision of, we have a new microscope. We're all going to look down and see what we can see. There's so much data there. There's so much information. The human eye isn't detecting what, what works and what doesn't work, does it?
1: And that's exactly the problem. Before we had the facial recognition technology, we used to, I'm a practitioner in the field. We used to physically look in the microscope and we couldn't absorb enough. We would look at maybe 10 images, maybe a hundred images if we worked really hard. But the computer, we can just tell com- the computer, find me this object in this test tube. And it will literally within minutes find 3 million images that look like that. And it, what's even better is the computer can very accurately determine how they might be slightly different each time. And so that's why I say it puts together a movie. We get we get to see different the different faces, the different orientations as the protein molecule or in your facial recognition in the crowd analogy goes, we can get the three-dimensional representation of the human being or in our case, the protein molecule.
0: And so you actually come up with a number of candidates and then you start narrowing it down even more.
1: Absolutely. And, and one of the big you know, breakthroughs. Again, you know, this, this really started about six or seven years ago with cryo microscopy facial recognition. It has accelerated our ability to be able to collect this type of data and to design these medicines faster and faster.
0: Now, that's a really good point. I mean, these days we say it takes 12 to 15 years to get from the lab bench to a commercially ready approved product. Do you think things like this will make it shorter? Um,
1: sadly, not immediately. And the reason why I say that is the slowest step in the process, and it's an incredibly important step, is safety trials. You have to make sure these molecules are safe. And, And those safety trials and efficacy trials do take time. Now, where this technology is really accelerating things is in the discovery of the molecules. So when we go from an idea to a molecule that we're excited about, we can do that faster we can we can shave a year off of a two year timeline, so we can do it in half the amount of time but safety studies still take still take longer and it's really important to do those safety studies because the last thing that we want to do is is harm harm a human
0: now you're now taking biologics which have been approved these are biopharmaceuticals which are on the market the FDA has accepted all of them um, so you don't have to go through that. It works. You just have to go through that. It works as well. Is that shorter or no?
1: Absolutely. So, so, so that another another very good point. So the answer is yes. We are able to go through shorter because the FDA has acknowledged this is this is a a very good mechanism of action for treating a certain disease, and so the target, as you said, is validated. What we're able to do is replace that biologic with a small molecule we have to do the comparison to make sure that it's at least as good as but you know we believe and we're seeing this already it's in fact better because it's an oral pill you get better patient compliance because it has better stability you don't have to keep this you know in a refrigerator or a freezer it has better pharmaceutical uh, pharmaceutics properties, which means it will absorb in your body and move around faster, give you a quicker effect. So all of these things add up to, it's not only as good as what's already been validated, but it's actually a better therapeutic.
0: When you do anything like this, you got to come up with some initial candidates. Okay, we're just going to go after this particular disease or this very small sector to make sure it works. You've got to start there. And you've started... In three areas, uh, let's start out with uh, diabetes and weight loss. We're very familiar with diabetes. We, I think we all have friends or family that have injectables and, and are testing their, their diabetes, their levels. Um, what are you doing there?
1: Yeah, so when we thought about our, our platform and being able to replace biologics with small molecules, we asked ourselves, this is a very powerful platform, and this technology can be very helpful. Where do we want to focus the therapeutic area? And we asked ourselves, what is the biggest um, global impact we can have? What what diseases really affect the world the most? And, you know, we thought about this very carefully, and we came up with a list. Diabetes and obesity is, is becoming one of the biggest killers in the world. Cardiovascular, Is another one pulmonary lung disease is another one so we prioritized those three but diabetes was one that we started first one because we had particular expertise in this area Uh, second we thought this is where we could make a really big impact we've you know my my metric of success for the company is really the number of patients that we can help treat And so the old McDonald's sign of, you know, served a billion hamburgers, that's what I have in my head. I really want to measure our success by how many patients we can help. And diabetes and obesity is is a really growing problem globally.
0: So in this case of diabetes, instead of organizing your injections and how much insulin to take in, how does that work in terms of a pill?
1: The traditional way that you treat diabetes is you will take insulin. The next generation of molecules that you've, you know, we see these commercials now on TV uh, by the names of Trulicity, uh, Ozempic, Ribelsis. These are medicines now that are replacing insulin and there's still injections. Ribelsis is a oral, but it's very complicated. And so what we're able to do is we're able to replace those large injections, injectable medicines, with an orally available small molecule that has the same function. It binds to the same receptor in the body and controls glucose levels. So it has the same mechanism, it's just that it's taken orally.
0: You have to take your medicine daily, but you might be able to take it in one or two pills a day as opposed to injections. That's correct. And I understand you're in phase one with the diabetes medicine.
1: That's correct. We just started phase one. This is a project that I've been working on for almost 20 years, studying this family of proteins, studying the interactions of how medicines interact with a particular receptor. We've spent two years uh, developing the specific molecule itself. And so yesterday I was able to see the the first subject take the first dose of this new medicine.
0: Was it more exciting than you thought it was going to be? Um, it was a combination of
1: relief. Again, we've been working on this for a long time. You worry about lots of things, particularly with COVID these days and trying to do clinical trials. But we're, we're very grateful that people worked incredibly hard uh, at making sure the trial was done safely and, and done well.
0: And so your second drug that you're going after, uh, what's that about?
1: So the other area besides diabetes and obesity that I think is global, a real uh, chronic disease affecting the world are pulmonary and pulmonary cardiovascular diseases. And again, this is a place where you know, we need to make sure that these medicines that we make available, because pulmonary disease is everywhere around the world.
0: Okay. Would we recognize any of the medications that, uh, that you're talking about that treat the symptoms?
1: Vi- Viagra is one of the examples, a PD-5 inhibitor. And and again, it does a good job of treating the symptoms, but it doesn't treat the disease.
0: And what is the disease?
1: So what happens in your lungs is the tips of your arteries, they become uh, very small, crackly. The arteries can't get the oxygen that you need. And so, and then the heart starts pumping harder and harder. And as it pumps harder and harder, people eventually wind up dying of heart failure. Right now, if you're diagnosed with this disease, you have, I think the current numbers are, you know, a 50% chance of surviving a few years because your heart just keeps pumping harder and harder and can't keep up to get that oxygen.
0: And what does this drug do?
1: So what this medicine does is it's able to increase the cardiac output, the flow, but it's also able to help with uh, what we call anti-remodeling. It allows the arteries to be able to get more of that oxygen coming in.
0: And then you have another one, a third one uh, along the line here, uh, something called IPF. What's that? Yeah,
1: idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Essentially, your lungs, fibers, um, it becomes fibrous. And, and this can happen for a variety of reasons. Um, but the, it'll ultimately lead to diseases, including cancer. And so what we want to be able to do is to try to be able to treat IPF uh, in order to, so that your lungs, again, so that your lungs can function properly and get all the oxygen that it needs.
0: Everything you've said applies to everyone in the world, it seems, every population. And yet, you know, as I look at this, these, these biopharmaceuticals, these biologics are very expensive. And they're really mostly in very economically advantaged countries. So the answer here is by making them into pills in the pill form, uh, they'll be far more affordable.
1: That, that's, that's correct. That's our motivation. That's what gets me up every morning and why I'm so excited about what we're doing is we want to make these medicines accessible to everybody because everybody is, you know, having to deal with obesity, diabetes, pulmonary disease, cardiovascular disease. So it's really important to, to focus in these areas.
0: Now, Ray, I want to ask you this. Uh, all, you've, you've mentioned a lot of very successful drugs, very very profitable drugs, um, and they're covered by patents. How are you able to go in and try to make a small molecule drug, a pill out of them?
1: You're absolutely correct. They have the companies that generate these biologics, have patented those large molecules, what we're studying, we're discovering new small molecules that are only a small portion that mimic and have the same function in the body. But in fact, we also design an enhanced properties as well. So they're completely novel. They're brand new. They didn't exist before in nature.
0: So you get the patent on the small molecule and it doesn't interfere with their patent. That's Correct. Now, your company has offices in both the U.S. and South San Francisco, big bio cluster, and in Shanghai. So is this an American company? Is this a Chinese company? What is it?
1: We, we view ourselves as a global company. We're incorporated in the Cayman Islands. We have our finance and clinical is run out of South San Francisco. Our early discovery and discovery is placed in Shanghai, with access to the contract research organizations. So we run very efficiently. And one of the reasons for that is talent. One of the most challenging parts, I think, of this industry is talent. And so we go where there's talent. Now, who
0: owns the company?
1: We, we have international investors. Uh, we're, I think we're approximately 60% U.S. investors, but we have investors from all over the world.
0: This is a very interesting economic proposition. Because if you are able to make these small molecules successfully and then sell them very cheaply uh, to you know to countries all over the world uh, that need these drugs desperately, uh, it really upsets the whole global bioeconomy, the biopharmaceutical economy.
1: No, I don't think so. Not only... Are we trying to replace these biologics? But we're trying to make them best in class. We're trying to make them better than the biologics themselves. And and that's why we we stress many of the features of an orally available pill versus a biologic. So we focus on best in class as as a requirement uh, for us.
0: You know, you mentioned earlier you've been working on this for 20 years. What motivated you?
1: You know, so I'm a chemist. Deep down, that's my, you know, what I went to college for, and I really enjoy it. Uh, I've always enjoyed, I wanted to go into as a chemist, how can I make medicines to help other people? But about 14 years ago, um, my daughter, she was four years old at the time, Uh, we were living in San Diego, and she came down, got diagnosed with a disease called Kawasaki's disease. This is a disease that, that affects very young children, and we still don't understand exactly what causes it. But when you have this disease, essentially what's happening is your immune system finds your circulatory system foreign. And when you have that battle between your immune system and your circulatory system, it causes damage to organs like the heart. Uh, it's, you know, this, uh, you know, young children can die from this. And so we were asked, we were in the emergency room, you know, my doc, the doctor said, you know, there's a phase two trial that's being done right now with Remicade, a biologic. And said, you know, would you be willing to put her on, you know, this phase two clinical trial? It saved her life. My daughter, who is now alive and very well, um, and now a freshman in college, um, she's alive because Remicade saved her life. That had a really big impact. That's part of what motivates me all the time. But the other thing that I thought about, you know, a few years ago from that experience was my daughter's lucky. We're lucky. You know, we were living in San Diego, there happened to be a, a center that recognized this disease and had this medicine available. You know, what if she was a child in another country, or in the country of the United States, again, my home state of Maine, somebody up north, they probably wouldn't have had access to this medicine. And, and I, I don't even want to think about the consequences of what would have happened there. So Biologics saved my daughter's life. And I'm grateful for that. It's revolutionized healthcare, But these biologics need to be these. We need to make our medicines accessible to everybody in the world, um, not just those that can afford them or not just those that happen to live in, in nice you know, particular places.
0: Well, Ray, thank you so much. I hope you come back and see us again. Tell us how it's going.
1: I would be absolutely honored, Mara. Thank you so much.
0: Dr. Ray Stevens is the CEO of Shao Ti Pharma with headquarters in the Cayman Islands and offices in South San Francisco and Shanghai, China. More information is on the web at ShaoTiPharma.com. That's shouti, S-H-O-U-T-I, Pharma.com. Listen to more biotech podcasts at BiotechNation.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. Biotech Nation is a regular feature of the weekly public radio program, Tech Nation. Listen to the full show via podcast or on your local public radio station. For Biotech Nation, I'm Moira Gunn.